Peace be with you, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Burning Strength Show. I'm your host, as always, Father Christopher Cox, and you're listening to the recording of episode number 112, being recorded on a very rainy Tuesday, late afternoon, evening, here in the month of February, well, or very early on, February 4th to be exact. Very happy to come to you with this brand new episode, and uh Hope that uh, you certainly enjoyed uh, the, the last episode. As always, on the Burning Strength Show, I will come to you with uh, brand new reviews of um, movies, TV shows, books, video games, some sort of multimedia review. I'll come to you with some sort of theology and uh, usually some sort of news item or whether it's a news item out there you know, in the news sources or whether it's a news item going on in my own life as a priest. So on the docket for today, I have a Markin sandwich, and I'll explain exactly what a Markin sandwich is. It relates to the realm of theology just as a precursor there. I'll give you my spoiler-free review of the Netflix TV series called The Witcher, and I'll talk about an artistic surprise that I received. Some of you might already know what I'm about to talk about because you follow me on social media, but I really want to talk about it anyways, just because it's been more than one artistic surprise. All right, for our first topic, I'll be talking about a Markin sandwich. Now, for those of you who have not eaten food yet, whether you're listening to this in the morning, afternoon, or evening, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, I do apologize, but I am not talking about food in a wonderful sandwich that I need to dedicate an entire topic to. <laughs> this isn't some culinary cuisine of sorts, but instead it's actually a theological tool that was employed by the gospel writer of the gospel of Mark. Uh, This community would employ this literary tool so as to help explain a number of different things that were going on. And usually these two stories, this uh, Mark and Sandwich, would um, relate to each other on various uh, occasions. So within the Gospel of Mark, there's um, several Markin sandwiches. So what a Markin sandwich is, if you haven't gotten it already, is a Markin sandwich is a story within a story. So you have a larger story, and then within that larger story, there is a story that kind of comes up as a surprise within the life of Jesus. It could be something um, that lasts several verses, uh, or it could be something that lasts just a couple verses within a uh, you know within a story. So the reason I bring this up is uh, today's gospel actually has one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Markin sandwich. It's probably the most well-known Markin sandwich. It's the story from Mark chapter five, verses twenty-one through forty-three. Now. Let me read this to you, and you might be familiar with this, but let me read this to you, and then I'll kind of break it down and kind of what it all means and everything like that. So this is a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he stayed close to the sea. 
One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came forward. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, saying, My daughter is at the point of death. Please come, lay your hands on her, that she may be well and live. He went off with him, and a large crowd followed him. There was a woman afflicted with hemorrhages for twelve years. She had suffered greatly at the hands of many doctors, and had spent all that she had. Yet she was not helped, but only grew worse. She had heard that Jesus came, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his cloak. She said, If I but touch his clothes, I shall be cured. Immediately, her flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she had been healed of her affliction. Jesus, aware at once that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and asked, Who has touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see how the crowd is pressing upon you, and yet you ask, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. The woman, realizing what had happened to her, approached in fear and trembling. She fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. While he was still speaking, the people from the synagogue official's house arrived and said, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Disregarding the message that was reported, Jesus said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid. Just have faith. He did not allow anyone to accompany him inside except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they arrived at the house of the synagogue official, he caught sight of commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. So he went in and said to them, Why this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but asleep. And they ridiculed him. Then he put them all out. He took along the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and entered the room where the child was. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. The girl, a child of twelve, arose immediately and walked around. At that they were utterly astounded. He gave strict orders that no one should know this, and said that she should be given something to eat. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not often in the Burning Strength show that I actually read an entire gospel, especially a gospel that was, so that comes from, again, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. So you're talking 22 verses there. And what you heard throughout the course of that gospel is, again, a, a very well-known gospel. We hear it uh, proclaimed on Sundays. It's it's one of the, uh, the more popular ones. But what you have is probably the most prominent of the Markin sandwiches. So you have the bigger story, which is the story of Jairus, the synagogue official, and his um, who, deceased daughter. And they come to Jesus expecting, you know, this miracle worker to do something. And while they're on their way to the house, you have the sandwich, the the small part of the another story that's sandwiched between the the uh, the bigger story, and that is the story of the hemorrhaging woman, and how she is cured of her affliction. What's interesting about this Markin sandwich is that it actually explains a lot about the ministry of Jesus. 
In this case, let's start with the bigger of the stories. You have the story of Jairus coming and asking Jesus to heal his daughter. So she wasn't deceased quite yet. After the story of the hemorrhaging woman, there's a report that she is deceased. And once he finally gets into her room, what was interesting is what exactly he does. So he grabs her by the hand, says, Talitha kum, and she rises. And he says, get her something to eat, just to prove that she wasn't a ghost. So what's going on here? Well, Jesus is actually entering into the lives of, of these people, this family, as well as into the life of this hemorrhaging woman who have sort of been ostracized in some ways. So what's interesting is that Jesus is willing to break cultural rules for the sake of human dignity. And he does this consistently through all four of the Gospels. He will break cultural rules that are set up for various reasons, but nothing so important so as to diminish the dignity of the human person. And in the case of the rising of the the girl from the dead, he's actually breaking a couple cultural rules here. The first one is that he's touching a woman who is not his immediate family member. That was something that you just didn't do in that culture if you were unrelated to, to a woman. Now, it specifically mentions her age, and that's important to note because at about the age of 12, you're assuming that the girl already probably went through puberty. She was probably considered to be a woman close to marrying age, if not already at the beginning of the marrying age. So she's starting to probably, or her family's looking for a spouse for her. And so when Jesus reaches for her hand and, and lifts her up, you know, he's touching a woman who is not his immediate family member. So he's breaking that cultural rule. But if you notice, nobody says anything about that. Um, another cultural rule is that he actually touches a dead body. So the girl was dead. He raises her um, from the dead. And what he's doing is he's rendering himself richly unclean. You did not touch a dead body. You know, that was something that a particular type of uh, individual would do. But especially if you were known to be a teacher a rabbi, um, some, somebody of importance, you wouldn't do that simply because it would render you ritually unclean. And there was all sorts of prescriptions to, that you would have to do in order to make yourself clean again. So he broke those two rules with that girl, with Jairus' daughter. And then he breaks one more rule with the hemorrhaging woman. Well, he doesn't really break the rule. She does. But that's not the thing that really surprises him. So if anybody was bleeding, if anybody had a, an illness such as hemorrhaging, you know, that, that had regular bleeding, that person was also rendered richly unclean or unclean in some ways. So by her touching his garment, she rendered him unclean. And if you notice his response, he, he asks, you know, who touched me? But it was because he noticed that this power that was flowing through him left him you know, to heal this woman. And he sees that the, the faith that she has, he doesn't, you know, say, you know, look what you did to me, but instead he says, your faith has saved you. Looking deeper at the dignity of this woman and trying to reintroduce her back into society, especially 
you know, if she had been dealing with this illness for a while. You know, society started to look at her as somebody, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, especially if you've seen lots of doctors, you start to be ostracized by the rest of society. You know, you, um, you know, people don't want to be associated with you because they're thinking, well, I could catch whatever you have. You know, obviously they didn't have the knowledge of medicine like we do today. You know, and then going to Jairus's daughter, you know, doing the same thing, willing to look past, you know, what different cultural uh, things that would be popping up, you know, that that would uh, either make them virtually unclean or or maybe ostracized by society that people would raise their eyebrows at. He looks past that, looks at the dignity of this family and the faith that they have, you know, coming to, to see him. And he wants to honor that, and he does. And it's amazing because he still, you know, his disciples are still trying to learn, you know, exactly who is this man that we're following. We see that he's a wonder worker. He has power over the spiritual world. Up to this point, he's exercised demons. He's um, said great words of wisdom. You know, he is creating this group of followers that he has established as his new family. He's created this, these rules of discipleship. So by by the time you get to chapter five, he's showing power over the physical world as well. So showing power over grave illnesses, and then even power over the dead in this particular case. And he brings Peter, James, and John, who are really the big three apostles in the Gospel of Mark, bringing them along to witness the story and then eventually be able to retell the story after he's gone. So this great, again, Mark and Sandwich is a, is a beautiful way that, that the, the writer of the Gospel just helps to tell stories. But again, what is the common denominator here? It's Jesus breaking rules for the dignity of the human person. Again, not breaking rules for the sake of breaking rules, but always holding the dignity first. And it's something that hopefully we all do at some point. Toss a coin to your witcher, O Valley of Plenty. This review, of course, is for the wonderful Netflix show called The Witcher. Some of you might be familiar with The Witcher because you played the video games. Maybe you are a fan of fantasy novels and you read the the Polish novels. I believe they're translated also into English. But many people, of course, are only familiar with The Witcher because of the Netflix TV show. So many people are uh, subscribers to Netflix or you know somebody who has Netflix. And Netflix wanted to compete with the likes of HBO series like um, Game of Thrones, as well as some other networks out there. So they released this fantasy-esque series entitled The Witcher. And of course, it had critical acclaim. So all sorts of people started watching it, whether you're familiar with the story or not. Now, a number of us geeks had played the games before, so we're somewhat familiar with the story, but this particular story takes a different turn. So when was this released? It was released on Netflix as an entire series, so you're talking eight episodes on December 20th, 2019, so you're talking right before Christmas, uh, so people could binge watch it on their Christmas breaks, 
It is rated currently as of this date an 8.4 out of 10 on the Internet Movie Database, IMDb, and a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, if you are interested in Google reviews, 95% of people on Google like the TV show. So it's a pretty good reviews from people. And what The Witcher show is all about is it's a, it follows the story of Geralt, who is a mutated monster hunter. So he's a, a hybrid human and um, something else by the result of magic. And so he, he's trying to find his place in the world. Um, and uh, he's part of this l sort of dying breed of monster hunters um, called witchers. He looks like a human being, except he's got jet white hair, and uh, he also has uh, access to magics. But uh, as you might find out from the video game, as well as from the book, it's also rendered him sterile. So you know, he, the witchers don't really get married because they really can't start families. So he has to prove to people time and time again that he has a moral system and that really he is the protagonist of the story. So this, the song that I referenced in the beginning of this episode is actually sung by his friend, his uh, bard from the the show, the, the TV series, the books, the video games, all sorts of different things. So that's one of the things I really like about the TV show is that it's whimsical. It, it, it revolves around a beautiful set. It has great costuming. You know, Henry Cavill, who plays the uh, Geralt, the Witcher, he does an amazing job. The, the, the actors and actresses do a great job doing their roles. And it's, it's really a, a great whimsical series. I will say, though, that it is rated M.A. for a variety of reasons, um, among them being the violence, being uh, the language, but the biggest part being actually the sexuality. And, and it's, um, it's one of those things I'll talk about just here in a, a second here um, as I finish the, the things I liked about the series. But um, there, there's a number of good things. They, they were really creative with their sets, um, how they did things, uh, the uh, different uh, TV sets, uh, and just the locations that they filmed on. The cinematography was clever. And I'm hoping that they're able to get even more clever with it, just seeing how many people watch the series. So uh, it's something that I think that they're really taking their time with. I, From my understanding, I haven't read any articles lately, but it seems like they're not going to be releasing the next season for at least another year. So it's something that, uh, you know, we're going to have delayed gratification for, you know, looking forward to the next season. But they want to take their time with it. They want to expand it. And hopefully Netflix gives them a bigger budget to do that. Some of the things I didn't like um, were revolved around, again, the, the morality part. You know, there was a lot of unnecessary uh, sexuality that was added into it. You know, nudity. Um, you know, these things were, of course, showcased in the game, but it they were things that didn't push the story along at all. It was almost like nudity for the sake of nudity, sexuality for the sake of sexuality, and it's just not necessary. So it's not something you want to watch with your kids. It's uh, something that um, you're, you're probably, you know, if you're a married couple, you maybe you watch together, but uh, it's not something that you would watch with anybody under the age of 18 or anybody who, who has any sort of... Um, problem with uh with sexuality with um 
you know, seeing something like that. It, it's it's something that, in my opinion, I know the opinions of a lot of different people, wasn't necessary, but they added it anyways. And I think there was just that added pressure because, of course, they had that in Game of Thrones, a series that I did not watch. But um, some of the other things I um, didn't like, uh, there was this weird, like, they use these weird, like, uh, film grains or this weird color scheme and it was a way to kind of darken the sets. I almost felt like the sets were a little bit too dark uh, in, in certain parts. And I, I know that's kind of the whole shtick of it all. But it was almost like it was a little bit too much that they needed a little bit of help with that. Um, you know, so that was certainly something that I didn't like. Uh, and then certain timepieces I wasn't a big fan of. Morality-wise, I mentioned the sexuality thing. Um, there was also this great... Uh, play into image dys, uh, dysphoria one of the main characters um this uh, sorceress a- a- ends up with this uh, image dysphoria just basically not she's not happy with the way she looks and so um that was certainly something that uh, that i think played a great moral piece in the series um uh, overall you know a lot of people ask me like what do you think of it Again, it's one of those series that's difficult to rate because the story was great. They uh, again, another thing I liked was the CGI. The costuming was great. Just you know, I really liked the story of it all, and I liked the that the idea that the typical antagonist, um, he, and he becomes an antagonist just to society in this in the show, is really the protagonist. He has a a morality. You know, he you know, intelligent creatures. He he unless there's a cause to to hunt these monsters, you know, he wants to protect them, including human beings. He want, he has this idea of morality, and it's really actually a lot of the people um, in this series, the human beings, that have the lack of, of morality. So um, I think there's a lot of different grounds they can go with here. I, I love looking forward to the potential of this series, um, but right now I would probably give this series an 8 out of 10, um, it's a very good series. I would recommend it if you you like this this style, but I would not recommend it for you to watch with your family. I would not recommend watching it, um, having anybody under the age of eighteen watching it because of the language, the the violence, but particularly the sexuality that's revolved around it. It just seems very skewed to me. But an eight out of ten is something certainly if you have Netflix and you are an adult and you are somebody who is uh, a little bit more mature, then certainly it might be something that you you check out if you're looking for a show to watch. And for our third and final segment, I mentioned in the introduction that I received an artistic surprise over the last couple weeks, and I've been wanting to talk about it just because uh, it's always good to highlight um, as a priest, you know, the people who uh, who make a big impact in your life, and and sometimes it's even just the the small things for me as a priest, you know, um, is it's often mentioned in society that uh, there's a dwindling number of priests and you know there's all this talk about uh, right now I'm serving as a parochial vicar here in the diocese of Cleveland but I know a lot of my counterparts that have been ordained around the same amount of time in other dioceses have already been serving as parish pastors for a number of years um 
and and I know I'm kind of biding my time until the diocese asks me to to do something like that. Um, but one of the things that that I know has been a great help to me in my priesthood currently, but also I know going forward, is just the, the people even do the small things for me. So there is a um, one of my former teenagers from my former parish. Uh, she's a young adult now, but uh, she's a gifted artist, which I did not know. And uh, her and I had great conversations, a quiet girl, but um, we, we would always have great deep conversations. She's got a great relationship with the Lord. And I know from time to time, she's a discerned religious life. And um, I came into the office um, after my day off, my day off is Thursdays. And I was informed that earlier in the day that somebody dropped off a picture for me and I wasn't sure what it was. I kind of assumed that it was one of our grade school kids who drew me a picture and I always love those. I I really do. Um, Right now I have three of them on my desk and I probably will not recycle those pictures for a couple months. I just, I I like when people uh, give me art. It's not something I can do all that well. But uh, this, this girl, um, her name's Margaret you know, gifted me with this great drawing of a lion with a crown of thorns. And she explains on uh, it's, uh, on the sort of the bag that it came in that uh, she knew, she, I think she knows that I'm a, a fan of, you know, some of the things we just talked about, some, some of the fantasy novels. And C.S. Lewis is a, certainly a great author, uh, favorite of mine. And he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. So, you know, the, the, the character of the lion in Chronicles of Narnia stands for Christ. So she draws this beautiful picture of a lion. I mean, so detailed. So, uh, it's such a great picture with a crown of thorns, wearing a crown of thorns. And right now I have it adorning uh, uh, a spot on my desk in my office, you know, on a stand. Just a, a very beautiful image. She does great job with with shading and the different colors. It's mostly black and white, but there's little hints of of red in there, and just such a great job, you know. So I'm very very grateful for that. But there's been a number of people that have uh, painted me pictures, drawn me pictures um, over the years, and and if it's certainly something that um, you know is something that that took a little while, and you can usually tell, you know, it's something that um, that I have. You know, adorning either my living space or my office. You know, I received a a nice um, wood carving from from an individual last year for Christmas. You know, a wonderful parishioner from St. Charles here, and uh, she got into uh, wood art, and so she created this great wood art piece for me. That I again, I've been it's adorned my office. You know, for the last year, and I intend to have it adorn my office. You know, going forward. You know, a gal. Um, at a parish, I just helped out with confessions, drew this or painted this beautiful small picture of of God holding the world, and you know God's got the the, the world in the palm of His hands, and it's 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 a picture that you've seen depicted in a variety of different ways. This was her depiction of it, so of course that's in my office too, and um, it's little things like that again that that are such great gifts to me that I cherish so greatly, and I know I mentioned in. Um, previous episodes that I, I usually tend to keep cards for a little while before I recycle them. I know a lot of people will recycle or throw them out right away. I tend to keep them uh, for a little while just because it it reminds me of, of just how many people um, not only care for me in my priesthood, but um, that I've also affected um, through my ministry as a priest of Jesus Christ. So um, 
just know that, you know, if anytime you drop anything off, I, I know, I'm not sure how often you hear these things, but, uh, you know, certainly they are cherished. And, uh, you know, whether it's that or, or even food, bakery, you know, little gifts, whatever it might be, you know, it certainly does mean the world to me, simply because it, it tells me that, you know, for at least a moment, you were thinking about me and you thought, you know what, I want to do something nice for, for him. And, you know, again, these little moments are great supports for me as a priest. And I, I know my brother priests feel the same way, that they're great supports for all of us, especially as our numbers get a little bit smaller. You know, it's it's little things like that that I think are always boosts in morale. So it was a great way, Margaret, um, to make me smile um, when she gave me that picture. And each time I get one of those things, it's a great cause to smile. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Hope to come back to you soon. May God bless you in this week ahead.